Welcome to the Fierce Authenticity Podcast, where we talk all things life, love, and leadership as you are on your path towards liberation. I'm your hostess, Sharani M. Pathak, and I am excited for us to dive right in. Welcome back to the podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, which somehow got really long, I just wanted to take a moment and share my reflections and my thoughts as I prepare to introduce you to my dear friend, Robin Morning, who is our first guest on the current segment of the podcast. Now, originally, I had invited Robin onto the podcast to speak about confusion and overwhelm and distraction and outrunning burnout. And our conversation took this whole other twist. And thank goodness Robin and I are both believers in the wisdom that comes through because talking about those things were not necessarily on the agenda, um, on the divine agenda. That was not the plan. So our conversation instead took this amazing turn where we focused on liberation and emancipation. And we challenged the idea that in our liberation, we get scared that we will be alone. But instead, it's actually in our liberation where we find our safety, where we find our belonging, and we find everything that we've been searching for all along. So without further ado, let's dive in to today's episode with Robin. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to have today uh, our very first guest for this next segment of the podcast, my dear friend, Robin Morning. Robin is a healing alchemist, soul artist, and intuitive anti-oppression activist. While Robin received her Master's of Science in Marriage, Family, and Child Counseling and became a trauma recovery specialist at her private mental health practice, she has since broken the mold that kept her in the status quo. As a spiritual healer, Robin joins her clients as a co-healer in their trauma healing journey by offering ritual healing practices that harmonize ancient and spiritual wisdom with modern practices and approaches. Robin also provides healership cultivation coaching and consulting for therapists, healers, and activists. She facilitates healing-oriented workshops, retreats, and experiential gatherings. Robin facilitates community wellness trainings on various topics related to trauma-responsive healing and social justice. Robin also provides professional anti-oppression consulting mentorship to healing and social change business leaders. As a trauma survivor herself, Robin is a fierce advocate for equity, inclusivity, and justice for marginalized individuals and communities in the mental health and wellness industries. And it is totally her badassness and her fierceness that has us just on this path together. Robin and I have known each other for several years now, and we've often talked about how we just circle around and pop on these parallel journeys and just say, hi, friend, every now and again. And she is such a badass. I'm so excited to introduce her and have her here. Robin, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Sharani, thank you so much for that introduction. And I'm really glad to be here and really honored to be able to just be in this beautiful community and space for so many voices to come through and in your space that you're cultivating for folks. And so thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, you are so welcome. And thank you for accepting my invitation. You know, I remember before the podcast officially launched, like when I was still in Sharani's ego brain about like what this podcast was going to be, I was like, hey, Robin, I'm starting a podcast and I want you to talk about outrunning burnout. Is that cool? And she's like, yeah. And then a month later, it was like, oh, I'm starting this podcast now. The Sharani plan isn't going to happen. I'm working on the divine plan. Like podcast is starting now 
now let's get this on the calendar and on the schedule. So I'm just really excited to be here and having this conversation. And, and you know, I've been witnessing you, Robin, in a similar way that you've been witnessing me as we have been growing and stepping greater into our healership. And that's a word I learned from you is our healership. And if you're open to just sharing a little bit about your journey with us and our listeners so they can get to know you a little bit better. Yes. Gosh. Every time I'm asked that question, I kind of cycle through this like file in my mind, like from what angle, from what perspective do I share? Because as you know, I feel like you believe similarly, this journey has been so multidimensional that it's hard to talk about in (laughs) concise. I mean, we could spend the whole podcast episode (laughs) just talking about that. But I would say, gosh, my journey has really been, I would say, summed up by liberation work. Mm -hmm. And not just from the new, like, you know, it's, it's a new trendy word, although the work is not trendy, and it's not new. And I think that's been my journey for a really long time is my own emancipation and my own freedom internally, and then joining the collective of queer Black, Indigenous, and other people of color working towards liberation for the community, for the collective. So I think I, you know, I've been stumbling and sprinting and crawling and crying and shrieking (laughs) and all of the things like through this journey that started, you know, when I say that, I look back all the way to being a kid and, and feeling so confined in my own skin and in my family and in my community and out of my own trauma survival, really, you know, trapping myself behind these walls that seemed protective, but really were not. And so, I mean, they were, and they, you know, I don't shame myself for any of that. And I know that they were very purposeful. They had a purpose. And since then I've been on this liberatory journey (laughs) in my own healing process, my own evolution as a, you know, a person, a human, a soul having a human experience, (laughs) you know, on the planet at this time. So when it comes to kind of a professional journey, you know, I started, which to me, my personal and professional journey, there's overlap. There's, Mm -hmm. I think that's very common for a lot of people who our healers or helpers of any kind is that it's a very personal thing. And it's, I feel like it's a calling for me. And so I hold that it's sacred work and I hold it very dearly. And so that means that in this journey personally too, not on the outside, it's like, Oh, I've been magically healed. And now I'm like this elder on a pedestal or something, (laughs) you know, this grand wizard, (laughs) you know, telling you what to do. No, thanks and really on this dirt path with everybody else. And so I started doing, you know, traditional colonial mental health. And within a year, probably less than a year, I feel like within a year, I was like, this is not working, doing it this way. It's not working for who I am, all the identities I carry. Many of those identities are, you know, experience marginalization and oppression. And a lot of my identities also experience privilege. And there's just a lot of those layers. And so I began to do that work for myself. Like, how do I want to show up in this field, in this profession, knowing that I can't really conform anymore to this westernized, colonialized, like way of healing and thinking and way of even thinking about harm and trauma is very one dimensional, rooted in white supremacy and ableism and lots of isms. (laughs) And during that time, I thought, you know what, I can just shift my professional perspective and rework my website. And, you know, of course, continue working on my own bias and, you know, those types of things. But I think that's all I really need to do. And, you know, then the divine was like, well, actually, (laughs) 
actually, well, yes, yes. And, and really what we meant <laughs> for you to experience your own liberation mm. when, it com- when it comes to being a black biracial person, when it comes to being a queer person. And Sharani, let me say, I've only been publicly talking about my queerness for, I don't know, three months, <laughs> you know? And so over the last few years, you know, it's been that, it's been both and, you know, mm. I can't show up to the collective liberation without tending to my own emancipation and what that means to me and how, what that means in like real lived life, not these, not means, not ideologies, you know, like real life. What does it mean to wake up every morning and cultivate my liberation mm. every day, you know? And it, it's not in a way that doesn't feel like work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, wrapping up in, in achievement and, and productivity, mm. but really what does that look like every day? And I don't really have a clear answer. But in that process, my father passed away. And as you know, it's been a central theme for the last three years. But that was an evolutionary experience for me, as it is for everyone who experiences a significant loss. And I definitely felt the experience of someone in my life transitioning to an ancestor for the first time. And I've had other family members in other kin pass away, but I never felt them becoming an ancestor. And so I didn't really, I had no experiential compass or barometer, like, oh, this is connection to ancestors and what it means until that experience. And it was beautiful and transformative. And it really shook my own internal structures, you know, internalized harm and oppression and all of that. And and then all the, all the beautiful things, all the powerful things that I have all the creative energies and all of that too. And so, you know, then that kind of led my journey to walking away from traditional colonial mental health as the path to healing. And it expanded my ability to show up as a healer. My cat is joining us. I don't know if you can hear him. I can. Hello. What's his name? His name is Kit Kat LePew. Oh, hello, Kit Kat LePew. Thank you for joining us and bringing your kitty medicine to our time together today. Yes, he makes his presence known from (laughs) when he can't get in the room. So now here I am walking in all of the different ways my healership shows up for, for me and shows up for others. And, you know, really committing, really understanding my purpose and calling when it comes to healership and liberation work. And it's, it's so iterative and it will change probably in three years. I'll look back and be like, wow, you know, (laughs) I'm in such a different place and this is coming such a different angle, but it's been a really beautiful journey. It's been really damn hard. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I can swear here, but (laughs) We'll just mark it E for explicit. I still have to review what counts for E for explicit. No big deal. Okay. All of you is welcome here. Okay. So yeah, it's been hard, but really, really amazing. Um, So yeah, I'm really glad to be where I am right now. And I wouldn't trade any of the obstacles or any of the challenges I face. And I also don't believe, I don't subscribe to the belief that you have to go through trauma to get to an enlightened kind of place. I don't believe that at all because I think we can experience liberation or, you know, healing and all of those, the full expression of our beings, I think can happen without trauma and without pain. And also I recognize looking back like, wow, I have really grabbed hold of myself in a beautiful way in response to deciding, yeah, I'm going to go through this healing process for the rest of my life. And it's going to be amazing. That's a little bit of the journey. Yeah, well, and thank you for going there. I mean, you named so many things and I'm like, yep, we don't mess around here on the podcast. We just like get straight to the thing because what I heard you say, and I got goosebumps every time I heard you say it, was your own personal emancipation Mm -hmm. and liberation. Yeah. 
And again, even as I'm saying it, I'm getting goosebumps. And this is why I always love reminders of divine timing, because this segment of the podcast is exactly about that, our own personal liberation. And to hear you also call it personal emancipation. It feels really powerful. And what does that mean to you, Robin? I mean, for me, it means I am the only one who can cultivate or catalyze my emancipation. It doesn't matter what policies exist because I'm more than a physical being from that perspective, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you know, and even physically, that is a process that is for me to cultivate and create a sense of ownership, right? Like this is mine. My emancipation is mine. And it reminds me of something that I I think it was Angela Davis. Oh gosh, I'm pretty sure. I think I did this when we did a webinar last week. I think I was like, wait, was it Angela Davis or somebody else? Pretty sure it was Angela Davis who was talking about how white supremacy and racism are really just distractions and Mm. they're not distractions from what white people are doing, right? They're a distraction meant to distract whoever, you know, in this case, black people, other people of color, indigenous folks, distract them from who they are. Right. And so that distraction, let's let these people forget who they are, where their power lies, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the beauty and the life they have to offer. So to me, my own personal emancipation means looking at something else other than those distractions, mm-hmm. right? Not seeing myself in the reflection of white supremacy, not seeing myself in the reflection of anti trans rhetoric or heteronormative rhetoric and and systems, but really looking at myself Mm -hmm. in the reflected back from myself, my community of people who I'm around regularly, who belong to, you know, like my fellow black community, the queer community, like really seeing myself reflected in spaces that honor and respect and regard and elevate mm. people like me and, and people who are, who have identities that I don't have that are also experiencing oppression and marginalization, you know, all of that and seeing myself reflected in the truth, in my humanity and what that means and looks like and being able to not be distracted by the distraction, you know, which is white supremacy, colonialism, and all of that. It's just meant to distract us from who we are. And I don't mean to say, I don't mean in perspective of like, that's like a bypassing thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very real, the point of white supremacy was not to do anything other than distract the black community from who they are and their power so that they can continue to be controlled, right? And taken from and oppressed. So yeah, like that really helped hearing that from Angela Davis, I believe it was her, really helped to solidify, yes, I am on the right track for me in that I'm not looking to see myself in the reflection of white supremacy anymore. I'm looking to see myself in the reflection of the truth of what it means to be a Black biracial person, a queer person, and Mm -hmm. in alignment with liberation for the communities as a whole. I just have to pause there and again, sit with that because there is just so much power and truth coming through your mouth. (laughs) Like you are just speaking so much truth today. And that's one of the reasons I invited you to be here because I knew that this is the experience we would be having. And you named something that is so important and is a part of what today's episode is about, how confusion and overwhelm and a sense of urgency are all tools for us to say distracted and oppressed. And when you talk about how like white supremacy and colonialism, like all of that was just created to keep us distracted, that's just the distraction over there. And we can go fight that all we want. But if we're not doing the inner internal work and really freeing ourselves, then we 
continue to be in that system and be manipulated by all of these structures that were put in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So our focus is still on them, like the system the, is still on the oppressor, right? Our focus mm-hmm. is still on the oppressor um, and their distractions and versus, you know, if we, if we were to, we meaning people in the black indigenous and people of color, and I'm not speaking for everyone in those communities. I don't speak for everybody that there's no monolith. There's such a, a beautiful diverse network of black indigenous and people of color in the U S and there's no way I can speak for everyone. I speak for myself and I speak with others in the black indigenous and people of color communities who are saying, if we turn and focus on our, and look at us, right? We look at our collective and then we can see ourselves and we can create our liberation. We can't wait for oppressive organizations, systems, institution, and people to make that change. We can't keep looking at that. We've got to look at us and remember who we are and what we are here to do and the power that we have and that we are free, right? We are free. And so we don't have to believe, right, that someone else gives us our freedom or our liberation. It is us who takes it and cultivates it. And what that looks like on the street, (laughs) you know, like it's, you know, in real life, um, it looks very different for everybody. The process is so different. And I think one of the big themes that I've seen and heard from other people and, and myself is that you, is that you have to take this personal stance too, right? It's not just about a collective of people, right? You have to bring it home to yourself first mm-hmm. and always, right? Like, and continue with that. It's not like a before and after, right? Like before you can do this, you have to do that. Like it's, always right it's always this personal work and the collective work and at the same time the personal emancipation really needs that communal aspect as well right we cannot do this alone that's the definition of liberation it's the liberation of an entire group an entire people not just one person and so we can't heal in isolation and we can't grow and foster and nurture our liberation in isolation as well. So it's kind of that, that dual experience that I've noticed. I'd say that's the biggest common thread is that one of the most subversive things we can do is really cultivate community because that is one of the most powerful things that we as Black, Indigenous, and other people of color have is our ability to create these amazing, beautiful communities that have such a powerful and sacred energy. You know, and that's exactly why the whole divide and conquer thing (laughs) exists. Yeah, the culture that we create in liberated communities is really just awe-inspiring. And it's tough to do here. It can be easily overshadowed by, you know, just colonial conditioning that we have, mm-hmm. you know, so it is a process to continue focusing on that. But when we continue to focus on liberation, and I think that really draws us back to the power of our communities and how we can, the, the creative power that we have. Yeah. And you're reminding me of something that I wrote down from the webinar, because I was on that webinar that you recently facilitated. And I'm hearing it coming up again in what you just said. And that quote from you was, Oppression is relational, and so is liberation. Yeah. When I hear and, you know, read things about this new wave of people getting on this social justice or anti-racist or anti-transphobic, like anti-ableist, like everyone, like there's a lot of people on this bandwagon. It feels like they're on a bandwagon, right? It's cool now. It's trendy. And 
what I've noticed and what I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, a lot of people, meaning like elders in the work of liberation who've been at this for decades, you know, and then of course, like the ancestors, like people came along before. So, you know, I'm really just joining a movement that's been happening for hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's what I'm hearing. There's, there's a lot of dehumanization when it comes to, social justice, activism, um, anti-racism stuff, you know, there's a lot of dehumanization. And what I mean is people are really, really focusing on the pieces that are strategic and um, people become parts of a, you know, fictitious story that go along with some policy change or, you know, real people who experience oppression, real people whose lives were taken, become characters in these narratives, right? And then it dictates what it looks like and what the work is to be an anti-oppression person, right? Like mm-hmm. oriented person and doing that work. And then we begin to shame folks when they make mistakes. We begin to expect perfection. We begin to expect people to behave in these very rigid ways to show or prove their allyship, their wokeness, or their own like healing and liberation. And there's no room for humanity. Mm. Right? There's no room for our humanness. Mm. So, you know, when I say, I make it very clear to say, we, we can't forget the relational aspect of oppression And we cannot forget the relational aspect of liberation because that is one of the very important parts of oppression is to really impact the way we build relationship with each other and the way that we build relationship with ourselves. And so if we're going to be all for liberation, we have to take it to the relational level as well and humanize the work. We have to, you know, humanize what it means to show up in these spaces, humanize ourselves, you know, really connecting with how we're feeling, our intentions, why we are responding to a comment a certain way. What is it that is happening inside our bodies and our spirits when we feel this, you know, sense of being like compelled or urgency to get involved? I have to get involved in this movement. What are we really trying to to do? Are we trying to soothe some discomfort in ourselves? Or are we really, are we really actually about liberation, right? Mm. Do we want to appear as some sort of thought leader or influencer, right? Is our ego wanting mm-hmm. a boost? Or are we really actually all for liberation? We're putting up all these hashtags, right? Black mm-hmm. lives matter, trans lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Mm-hmm. Like, we're putting up these hashtags. Are we invested in black life? Yeah. Are we invested in protecting it mm-hmm. and helping it thrive? Are we invested in trans life? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the lives of trans people while they are alive. Are yeah. we invested in those things or not? You know, what's really going on? And I think in, in remaining curious with our own intentions and our own motives, right? Being critically conscious and aware of our behaviors, our actions and why we're doing things or why we're not doing things from a place of openness, right? And, and acceptance, it can be really hard to get to that acceptance place, mm-hmm. right? But acceptance and humility, right? You know, we're not gonna be perfect and we're not gonna shame ourselves. You know, the goal is to not shame ourselves, but to, to move in compassion with ourselves to understand what's really underlying and what we can shift and change and heal and dismantle within ourselves so that we can cultivate right relationship with ourselves and with others and the land. So I really think of that process when I think of the relational work, you know, um, and how, especially as healers, Um, If you have a lot of healers listening to your show, you know, or they have healers in their life. And I think especially as as healers, the relational piece is something that is 
in the forefront. We're taught a lot about relationship and how the relationship is one of the most important parts of a healing endeavor. Mm-hmm. Whether it is, you know, therapy or body work or spiritual work, you know, the relationship is one of the key ingredients to that co-healing dynamic. And our unchecked or unaddressed biases and dramas and, you know, and, and all the beautiful things too, like they will come through the relationship, whether we want them or not, mm-hmm. you know, like it will come through and it's better that we're conscious of it, right? That conscious, like, yep, this is coming into the re- relationship. This is coming into the room. You know, how do we want to work through that? How do we want to do this? Right. Is way better than ignoring it and being in denial and then having, you know, causing unintentional harm. Um, so yeah, that relational aspect is really important because out of relationship, right. Or the idea of relationships or what we've been told about having relationships with certain people begins to, you know, then narratives are created, then ideologies come, Mm -hmm. right. And then Mm -hmm. we start to build systems and structures to uphold those ideas. Right. Um, I was listening to a podcast, an on being podcast with Jason Reynolds. He is an author. He recently helped to kind of recreate the book Stamped. Um, Mm. Anyway, he was talking about how imagination is what created all of these systems of oppression. And so if someone's imagination, someone in their mind created this idea of, well, I know how we can build capital and wealth, right? And power, we can do these, we can get, you know, we can get some people from over here and and, and wipe out these people over there and have them create our industries, right? Um, And in order to justify that behavior, we need to have a, what's our justification? Oh, we know, right? These people are savages. Mm -hmm. They are um, really dangerous. They um, are subhuman in some way, right? Like all these Mm -hmm. narratives are created. And then boom, Mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of years later, we have the way the U.S. is now. And so if that came from imagination, I can only imagine what would come Mm. to be if we collectively imagined liberation together right and that is the power of turning away from the the oppressor and turning back to who we are in our in our own communities right like Sharani you're not in the black community but you are you know a beautiful woman of color and you have your own culture and your own community group right so what would it mean for you and your community to be like, this is what liberation is for us and how we can support the liberation of other people. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, then hop on over to coffee.com slash Sharani. That's ko-fi.com slash Sharani, where you can support the podcast You'll find a link in the show notes to help direct you there. You've, again, said so many wonderful things, and I'm going to try to, like, piece out the ones that feel like I want to go there. And what you said was this idea of imagining what that liberation looks like. Because the systems and structures we have in place today were imagined at one point. And I haven't heard that. I really appreciate hearing that. And right now I've been learning from uh, Andrea Renee at Whole Self Liberation. She has um, a program going on right now called Rise Up. And she said something in one of the recent classes where she said, the systems that we have in place today are the tiny decisions that people have made along the way and what they have said yes to and what they have said no to. And so I really appreciate this shift in terms of like, okay, so if those were the decisions and the actions that we took, even those tiny micro decisions that we took as a part of this culture that we imagined that's so oppressive as it is, like what are the tiny actions that we can take? And what are the tiny decisions that we can make that 
move us towards like what we imagine liberation to look like for ourselves. And I also appreciate what you said about turning away from the oppressor and looking at your own personhood. And I think you named something important with that because I know that for me, and I shared this in um, previous podcast episodes, I didn't realize for the longest time because, you know, I fit that quote unquote model minority thing. Being a woman who has South Asian descent, like I fit that model minority mold. And so not speaking out, doing everything I could to acculturate. And like, I had no idea that's what I was doing consciously. Right. And then once I realized what was going on and similar to how you've just been speaking about your queerness for the last three months or so, it's like or publicly anyway, for the last three months or so. For me, I've only publicly started speaking about how I had been impacted and tried to fit into this culture that was white, like how I worked so hard unconsciously to assimilate. And really shoving my brownness aside. And then once I realized that's what was happening, I did go into that place of getting angry at all of those external oppressors, right? And I did do some projecting on some people that didn't deserve to be projected on, which goes back to what you were saying about how the white supremacy culture, like, is all one big series of distractions to keep us divided and to keep us not looking and addressing what's really going on. And um, yeah, I had to take ownership of the fact that like, ooh, ouch, I just participated in that divisive behavior, which is exactly what the white supremacist colonial capitalist patriarchy wants. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to acknowledge that you know, those early days of acknowledging, Mm -hmm. you know, yep, I've been, you know, the cost of me being this model minority, the cost of that has been a part of myself, you know, and I know, like, I know that you are no stranger to that work, but I just want to acknowledge those early days of seeing Mm -hmm you know, that part of you, you know, that brown part of you that's been like shoved to the side for so long and not being able to, to exist. Um, gosh, like, whoo, what a, <laughs> talk about a bright light in the eyes. You know, that is painful and just, you can't unsee it. You can't unfeel it, you know? Um, and I'm not sure how you experience it, but for me, that works. I had that, I had that same, uh, I don't know that I was consciously trying to be the model minority either. I think it's something that was placed on me, Mm. you know, kind of like a robe. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to wear this, you know, and I guess I'll just do a good job, Mm -hmm. um, at wearing this all the time. Um, But, you know, as, you know, a a black biracial, black, white biracial person, I have the privilege of racial ambiguity. You know, Mm. a lot of people don't see me. They don't, when they look at me, they don't see a black woman walking around. You know, Mm -hmm. they see a brown woman and not quite sure, you know, (laughs) they're always asking me, what are you? (laughs) Oh my God. Which is a huge privilege, right? I could say a lot of things and not that I have ever lied, but that's a big privilege to have. So recognizing that and healing, really healing the internalized racism. Oh God, healing that and dismantling the structures of oppression within myself because I could feel Mm -hmm. those structures, those internal structures crumbling when I began to liberate my black self from the dungeons, I put them in for protection, right? I protect this world is not safe for you. You know, so I'll just protect you here. I had this real, this very like psycho spiritual process. I remember my entire adolescence and even earlier childhood, you know, I have memories of really trying to 
split myself into black, white and act as white as you can. And I grew up and still live in a predominantly white area. And my family that I had the most contact with was my black family members. However, we didn't live in the same area as them, you know, like we, <laughs> we lived in more white areas and they lived in areas that were more diverse or more black people. So I spent years making sure that the split internally, right, my black self and my white self, there was a very clear delineation and my black self was not allowed out except for my damn skin. Like no one, I can't, everyone sees that. Everyone sees my skin and they know that I'm not actually white. You know, that was my thinking for a lot of my young adolescents and, you know, even older adolescents was like, oh my God, I would sometimes look at my hands and be shocked that they weren't white because I just wanted so badly to not experience the pain and the harm that comes to black people and brown people. Mm. So what did I do? I inflicted that same harm on myself, right? And that was the biggest wound. And it's also the most rebellious act, right? Like reclaiming my blackness and embodying my blackness and cultivating it and letting the two parts of myself merge, right? I will never be sociopolitically white, right? <laughs> I will never be white. And I have Norwegian heritage and I have privilege, you know, from not being darker skin and not having black hair texture. You know what I mean? Mm. So there's a lot of that confusion in the layers of like, like what parts of me experience oppression, what parts mm. of me have these privileges, you know, how do I internalize it? How am I wielding harm against myself? Then how does that play out in my relationships? Those are things that go on in my mind and my spirit in this work and then remembering, always remembering to come back, you know, yes. come back, come back to self, come back to the community. Because when I get caught up in that hazy confusion of all of that, that's an indicator for me that I'm looking to see myself reflected back from like the oppressive majority, right? Mm. And I will never see myself in truth through that reflection, right? I might see aspects of myself, but they're not going to be correlated or connected directly to the, the full truth of who I am and what it means to live in this life and in this world. Yeah. And what I'm drawing a parallel to is how again, coming back to self, right? And so when this went down, which literally was only about two months ago, by the time this episode will release, it'll only have been two months when all of this went down for me. And I'm so grateful and glad that as a healer and a helper, I am someone who has cultivated very strong practices and communities for myself to be able to quickly move through and transmute it so that I can do what I'm called to do, which is be here and share the story with you. And so what it makes me think of is, yeah, I lashed out when I was like, ah, you know, this big awakening and lashed out at some real innocent white people bystanders, really, been totally projected onto them and moved through the work, did what I needed to do to get right with myself and turn away from that, right? And come back into this relationship with myself and start to reconcile that within me. Because it really had nothing to do with them. It had to do with me and my pain and where I was at and what I was waking up to. And for me, taking ownership, just like you said, that reclamation, right? For me, a part of that reclamation is taking ownership for where I had caused harm. And then when we also bring it back to the relationships and how the liberatory relationship really needs to be the one, like in it's an inside job, basically, and how we have to do it within ourselves. And I'm a relationship therapist in my brick and mortar practice. And on my online world, I am the fierce authenticity person, like that's my jam. 
And ultimately, though, all of it comes back to, like all of my work comes back to how we relate with ourselves. And what you said, like getting into right relationship with that. And I think that's really important for our listeners to hear and or be reminded of. Because I think so often what happens as a result of the colonial capitalist, you know, white supremacist, toxic patriarchy is we believe that it is out there. The problem is out there and not looking at how we ourselves are part of that problem because of the choices that we make consciously or unconsciously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of how, you know, what that means in the sense of rehumanizing, you know, yes, there are these systems and structures and institutions, but who makes up the mental health industrial complex? Not a bunch of machines and robots, but (laughs) people, you know, people do. And I think a lot of times, I don't think people wake up and say, oh, here, I'm going to like get ready to, you know, continue to maintain systems of oppression today. Woohoo! <laughs> most people do that. And change is hard, especially when there's a fear of losing safety, losing power, losing control. Mm-hmm losing status, you know, lots of those things. And I think people who are in privileged groups respond, even parts of myself, I've responded defensively when confronted with, gosh, like in order to, you know, really show up for like the trans community, for example, like these are the things within myself that I need to dismantle. And in doing that, that means that I, you know, in, in relationships, what the lived experience of showing up for trans liberation, right? In alignment with trans folks' liberation, right? To exist and thrive and have wonderful, amazing lives means that, gosh, like I'm going to lose some things. And what does it mean to lose those things? And are those things okay to lose, right? So then I go down the rabbit hole of all those curiosities and at first it felt really scary, you know, like I'm going to lose security. I'm going to lose safety. I'm going to lose belonging. It's one thing to lose, like who cares about reputation? Who cares about money? Who cares about power? Like I don't care about that necessarily. Right. Like that was the kind of surface covering up like, Oh shit. You know, I could lose these things in certain circles or in certain groups, like if, you know, gosh. And then I'm like, well, you know what? Yes, maybe socially or politically, sure. But to me, really what was happening is I was gaining more security and belonging, right? As I honored the right for other people to have a sense of security and belonging. I may have lost that from relationships or groups I was in, who would rather have kept their anti-trans views and beliefs and behaviors, but, but that was okay because aligning with other people who believe wholeheartedly, you know, people in the trans community and people not in the trans community who are aligning with trans folks in their liberation, I would rather have that sense of security because that is real. That is real community, real security, real belongingness, because it's people, it's the resonance, right? Sharani, you believe in my right to exist and to have a lovely, beautiful life, and you will fight like hell, but I get it. And I will do the same for you. That reciprocal resonance, right? Like that is real security. I wasn't secure before. I didn't belong. (laughs) You know, there's no sense of belonging in oppression, (laughs) there is no sense of belonging in oppression it is not real and I think that that's hard to encapsulate it's hard to imagine you know maybe at first and so I think a lot of people buck against the change that is required to dismantle systems to heal wounding right to heal our internalized depression to 
you know, go through the, you know, trunks of bias in our psychological addicts, you know, like throw that out (laughs) and create a new way of believing about people and humanity. There are people who choose to be very, very vehemently, aggressively pro-oppression, right? They don't want to let that go. And I'm not going to force them to let that go. I don't need them to let that go, right? And at the same time, I know that they might be causing harm, right? But you can't take them out. You know what I mean? And you can't force someone into anti-oppression work. That's oppressive. And with liberation comes very clear boundaries, Mm. right? Very clear what it means to share power and to cultivate your sense of personhood and individuality and your contribution to the community and the community's contribution to your well-being and this mutuality and this consent. So I think things that people fear that they'll lose, you know, when it comes to liberation and joy and all of like all of these things that feel so great and beautiful it's like yeah but, but what if we forget the protection right the need for protection and safety and all these things like no 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 liberation really fortifies our our protection liberatory relationships have good boundaries liberatory relationships are not abusive relationships when we cause harm we repair right? If that repair process reveals that we can't be in relationship in the same way anymore, okay, Mm. right? Liberation does not mean flowers and roses and rainbows and all of that. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of unlearning, especially when it comes to how we respond to wrongdoings, right? At least here in the U.S., kind of the knee-jerk reaction is punishment because that is ingrained. That's part of the colonial culture is this punishment. And, you know, we got to have consequences and punishment. And that's the only way we will learn and grow and enforce boundaries, right? There's a lot of that language that feels like that power and control dynamic. And when I think of liberatory relationships, I don't think of, to me, a liberatory relationship doesn't have this threat of punishment or this Mm -hmm. constant threat of, I need to have some consequence in order to learn, like a negative consequence in order to learn. And sometimes that's true, but not all the time. And liberatory relationships feel like I'm allowed to be imperfect and not be harshly punished for it, Mm. you know, in the small ways and in the large ways. And then I remember every time I feel that, I see myself in relationship with my child and my relationship with my child has been one of the most illuminating relationships in so many ways, but in my, it has illuminated my own capacity to colonize somebody else. And I've been on a two year journey to undo that. And oh, sometimes it feels like I don't, I can't, you know, like, I don't know if it's possible, you know, (laughs) there's days where I'm like, it feels so second nature and I am not okay with that. Mm. I want it to feel second nature. I want it to feel so like, I don't have to think about it at all to not colonize someone. Like, I don't know what the opposite is, right? Like let Mm. have her be her own free person to have a liberated relationship with her where I don't feel like in order to be a good parent, in order to show the world that I've, I've helped raise this great person, right? Means that I have to colonize her, right? I want it to mean and show like, no, I want it to be a liberatory relationship where mm. she's not constantly having to monitor her behavior based on are my reactions saying that she's not doing this whole human thing right or she shouldn't show up this way as a human or is she allowed? Is her body allowed to do this or not allowed Mm. to do that? So for me, also the work is not just taking it externally and saying, you know, we got to decolonize these systems, Mm -hmm. right? We got to decolonize our therapy modalities. We got to decolonize the way that we, you know, use this and that and the other thing. I got that. That work is also personal and also relational. I, 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 I need to unlearn and stop colonizing 
and engaging in childism, you know, my own child. And I feel like that is one of the roots. We can all act like colonizers. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not colonizing or trying to colonize some of the most vulnerable people, which are young children, then I feel like I'm in alignment with what liberation is, right? I'm no longer taking in, like I'm decolonizing myself, right? And I think decolonizing work is mainly for Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, right? I think a bulk of the white people's work is to repatriate, give things back, Mm. right? And all of us, since we have been seeped in colonizer mindsets, right, and colonizing ways of being, all of us can benefit from unlearning how to, like, no longer engaging in the need, like, feel like we need to colonize other people, take other people over, control them, Yeah. right? So I, I kind of went on some tangents and <laughs> talked for a long time. I'm sorry for taking over. No need to apologize because there's so much richness. I've been, like, jotting down quotes here. There's a part of me that's like, no, don't wrap up the conversation. Just make it a two-part podcast. And there's another part of me that's like, it's okay. I'll invite Robin back. So I'm going to honor those parts of me and just name them because this is a part of the work, like naming all the different things that are that are happening and going on. And I want to say back, actually, I feel like repeating back three of the powerful quotes that I wrote down. And then I want to ask you, one last question that we can leave our listeners with. So the three quotes that I wrote down that just felt so powerful to me were, there is no sense of belonging in oppression. With liberation comes very clear boundaries. And liberation fortifies our protection. I mean, I really feel like that... (laughs) felt a little channeled, you know, I'm hearing them back and I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yes, please. Yeah. And they're so powerful and they are this reminder that there's this false belief that when we engage in liberation work that, or let me not engage in liberation work and let me not speak up against the status quo. Let me not be a disruptor. Let me not actually be a change maker and do the things or say the things that need to be said to shift and disrupt the way that things are going right now in our world, right? Because there's a sense of safety a false sense of safety in the status quo. And yet when we start to, like you said, dismantling all of that stuff within ourselves, we come to see that actually in speaking up and in doing this work, we feel greater sense of security, safety, and belonging, which are the fundamental things that every human being wants. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, Robin, my final question to you for this episode is, what would you say to our change makers, to our way showers, to our status quo disruptors, our leaders, our visionaries who are listening to this episode? What do you want to leave them with as it relates to this conversation around oppression and liberation? One thing I would say, I don't know if it is the thing I would say, but one thing I want to say in this moment is to, if you aren't already, do this. And if you are currently doing this, just continue to root yourself in community and do this work in community and not alone for various reasons. To be a change maker or a way shower, is that what you said? A way shower? A way shower, yeah. A way shower, a leader, a change maker of any kind, a revolutionary. Mm -hmm, Yes. I think, you know, engaging in those behaviors or having those personas tends to elevate individualism and can put a lot of pressure on, you know, on us who are, you know, making waves, (laughs) rocking the boat, puts a lot of pressure on us to carry that burden. 
And often we can get caught up in that and think that we can actually carry that burden that as individuals, we can, like, it is on us and we can make this happen and it becomes about us. And we forget the communities for whom we're doing this work. So I would say, and I say this to myself, is to continue to be led by community and inspired by community and doing this for community and for their liberation. It is about your individual work. It is not an individualistic endeavor. To me, that is so comforting. So yeah, I just leave that as an offering, an invitation, and an experience in decentralizing the power that it has to come from people who have the labels of leaders and change makers and revolutionaries, right? Revolution is not brought by on by one person. So we can let that go. Even though we are working as, you know, maybe we are fanning the flames, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe we are bringing in the sustenance or maybe we are continuing to speak into the (laughs) megaphone, right? Everyone in the community that we're working to liberate whatever that is, whatever that community is for anyone listening, they are the ones. We are all doing the work. It is not just ones who seem like they're more, they're louder or they're more in the forefront or they, you know, have a public presence. We aren't really the ones solely doing, doing this work. And if we think we are, we are a little misguided and we need to come back to the truth of what liberation means. Yeah. And I have definitely been there being weighed down by the fear and the terror of, oh my gosh, I have to do this big work all by myself. Like, no, no one person can carry all of this. And that's why community is so important. That's actually community is where I met Robin. (laughs) And here we are continuing to strengthen one another, our work in the world, and just amplify this important and world-changing time that we are in. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not even meant to do our own personal work alone. No. So if we're not even meant to do our own personal work alone, I'm curious about why we continue to think that we have to do this, these big things alone, like ending systemic oppression alone, you know? And that is a reflection of many things, but, you know, especially in an individualistic society. Yeah, and I'm going to drop a little hint here that in September 2020, I will be opening a collective and community space for people to come and gather and be held and supported so that they're not doing it on their own. So there's a little teaser that that is coming up soon. And before we completely wrap up, Robin, where can listeners find you? Where can they learn more about you? How can they connect with you? I'm mainly on Instagram in terms of social media. So I'm a, one of the co-founders of the Join Justice Collaborative. And you can find me on Instagram. You can find us on Instagram there at Joy and Justice Collab, C-O-L-L-A-B. That's our Instagram handle. You can find me also at SoulSmart underscore strategy. And my other Instagram might be changing. So I don't know if I want to say what it's called yet. It's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a surprise. But currently it's called Well Soul Wellness. So if you search for it in a few months, it might not be there, but <laughs> it's probably connected to the other accounts. I have websites, but they're not as exciting to me. I like social media better sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And I will just attest, if you follow Robin's work and you engage with it, she will engage back with you. You're not just going to be getting silence. So thank you so much, Robin. It has been such a gift, you know, to be here and have this conversation, which took a totally different turn than what we initially thought. And yet it was so incredibly powerful and important because we talked about the work of liberation and why it is so important that we do this work and how it is not an outside job, but it is an inside job. So you will be back on the podcast and yes, and we will continue to have these conversations and just thank you again so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. 
Thank you for having me so much. It's been an honor and I love having these soulful conversations with you. So this was just perfect. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, then please be sure to subscribe and rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, be sure to share this podcast with everybody that you know, so that they too can get in on these powerful conversations that we're having as we're all on our path towards liberation. If you're a change maker and a revolutionary and you're looking for more support as we're in this time of change, then keep listening because I have something super special for you. I've recorded a short audio download that will support you as we are in these revolutionary times. Head on over to the link in the show notes to access your download today. I look forward to being with you again next time. Until then, be well and take really good care. Thank you.